0: Ever had in the history of the church? We had, I think, eighteen total people show up at our three hundred one class. That's eighteen new people who are coming to the church who want to get plugged in, uh, want to learn their purpose, want to grow in their strength and in their gifts. Yeah, I see you, Amanda. You think you're right over here? If you're wondering, you are. Think right now? I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, you know, and 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 it's amazing. You know, and somebody pulled me over to the side uh, after the session, and they said. I got to tell you, what blows me away about this church is that people from all different backgrounds and different uh, stages in life come together and worship together as one. Uh, You know, people from different ethnicities and races, people from different ages, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people with PhDs and GEDs and, you know, people of means and people of limited means come together and grow together in community and love and serve and take care of one another in community. And I said, I know. I, I, I know. And I'm amazed by this. And I praise God for this because this can only happen when God is involved. This can only happen when people are pursuing Jesus with all their hearts and, and, and not seeing, um, the, the, not focusing on the differences, focusing on, uh, what they share in common. And that's a love for God. And so, um, I, I feel in my heart the way I think uh, the Apostle Paul and Timothy felt about a little church that they had heard about uh, in, in uh, Colossae, uh, and they wrote this to this church. I'm just going to read you a little portion of a letter that they wrote. It said, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, The faith and the love that springs from the hope that's stored up for you. So Paul is saying, and Timothy is saying in this letter, he's saying, we just think, he was actually in prison at this time, and he's saying, we just, every day we just thank God for you, and we praise God for you because you guys are this vibrant, growing community of followers of Jesus who are exhibiting faith and love and hope, and your reputation for that is spreading all over the world. And that's, was, that was happening. And then you look at some of his other letters and he's saying the same thing to other little churches that are growing because that's what's happening all over the first, in in the first century, all over the world. These little gospel communities, these little communities of people who prior to this moment had nothing in common, would not have interacted with each other, are coming together, serving Jesus, following Jesus, loving one another, forgiving each other, serving the community at large, and it's transforming the world. Within a few decades, the world is literally turned upside down because of what was happening in these communities. Rodney Stark, who is a, a, a professor of sociology of religion at Baylor University, he writes about the, the church in the first century. And this is what he says in one of his books called uh, The Rise of Christianity. He said, To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity and hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective health and nursing services. Then he says this. He says, What brought Christ- what Christians brought was not simply an urban movement. But it was a new culture. He said Christians brought into the world a new culture. And it was a culture that transcended race. And it was a culture that transcended socioeconomic background. It was a culture that transcended religion. And it was a culture that embraced the unembraceable and reached out and touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable. And it transformed the world. It changed the world, not only for those who belonged to it, but for the people that lived in the community Around it. That was the first century Christian movement. But over time, throughout history, something has happened. Um, People often, at least in America, largely, don't see the church as this vibrant, growing, healthy place where they can feel good about bringing their problems and their struggles and their difficulties. A lot of times, the church is viewed as divisive, and judgmental, uh, and irrelevant. In fact, um, in a book called UnChristian, the authors did a, a survey of American sixteen to 20, twenty-nine year olds. There's a very thorough survey, survey, and what they found is that young Americans sixteen to twenty-nine largely found, when they thought about Christianity or the church, they found it to be judgmental, hypocritical anti-intellectual, homophobic, insensitive, hyper-political, and boring. <laughs> that's not us, you guys. I mean, that's not what we're supposed to be. That's not what we're called to be. That's not what the church is, right? That's not what God has, you know, Jesus didn't come and say, I, you know, I want you to form a judgmental, hypocritical, anti-intellectual, homophobic, insensitive, hyper-political, and boring group of people. Um, <laughs> To go out and offend the world, okay? <laughs> so, if this isn't us, if if we're if we're more like the, the the description by Rodney Stark and by Paul and and by Timothy, then how do we get from there th- here in terms of what the world sees and back to there, uh, which is a, a, a vibrant community that transforms the world in which it lives. Um. I told you last week, I introduced uh, Christian Schwartz to you, the guy, the researcher that did all sorts of, he looked at a thousand churches, 32 different countries, 18 different languages. He and his group analyzed 4.2 million responses from all these churches, and they distilled all of their findings down into what he found to be eight basic principles that defined healthy, vibrant, growing churches, churches that were reaching out effectively into the community, churches where unchurched people actually enjoyed coming. Um, churches that, you know, were, were effective at, at, at helping people in their community and also growing and, and, and helping the people in the, in the church itself. Um, and I talked about the first four of those eight principles last Sunday. So if you were not here last Sunday, you can just go on our website, com, and go on the sermons page and listen to that sermon and download the notes. Um, but today I'm going to talk to you about the last four principles that Schwartz talked about, the last four principles that define that breed of churches that are that are sort of making a difference in their community that are really striving and pushing to to bring hope and restoration and healing and faith and love and mercy into their world. Um, and the first one, that he talked about. I really like, because I know I'm biased towards U City family church. I happen to think we're the best church in the world, but I mean, that's just me, but no, um, we're just part of the great church. But, but the, the first principle that he talked about in the second group was what he called inspiring worship services. You can follow along in your sermon notes if you, um, if you'd like to inspiring worship services. Um, I was at the Global Leadership Summit. I think I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, which was at Willow Creek in Chicago. And at this summit, it was all, the whole summit was directed at leadership. And so they brought in all of these great leaders to talk about leadership and how to be an effective leader and how we grow as leaders and building up leaders and how you can become a better leader. And it was an amazing summit. And I just sat there and I just breathed in this atmosphere of leadership. And I scribbled down a ton of notes, most of which I can't read at this point, but I just, it was, it was just this environment where, you know, it was inspiring. In fact, that word inspire, inspiring, it it, it actually means to breathe in. So let me, let me, let me have you all participate with me just for a minute. Everybody just take a deep breath, just right where you are, just and let it out. Somebody just let it out with a little cry. It's so sweet. Um, that's what inspire means. It means to breathe in. An inspiring worship service means that we are breathing in hope. We are breathing in faith. We are breathe, breathing in life. We are breathing in newness. We are breathing in God's presence, God's spirit into our life. In fact, I, if I took a poll, and you don't have to raise your hand, um, it just reflect on this in your mind. Like think about why you came here today. If you you know think about why you came here today, you may have come out of guilt. You may have come out of habit. You may have come out of force. Like if your wife said, you better get, you know. Um, but I think that if we polled the, this congregation, most of you, that's, those aren't the reasons you come. The reasons you come... The reason, One of the reasons you come is because something happens in this environment where you, maybe it's during the singing, often it is for me, maybe it's during the preaching, maybe it's during the communion, maybe it's during the offering, maybe it's when you're interacting with other people, but something happens in this environment where you breathe in hope, you breathe in inspiration, and you say, man, I feel like something important and powerful and and transformative happens when I go to that place, and so I want to come back. That's what an inspiring worship service is in fact when Jesus would talk about um, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he would talk about it in the metaphor of breath if you look at um, uh, if you look at John chapter 4 he said a time is coming and now it has come when the true worshipers he said will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth this word spirit, the, the Greek word for this is pneuma, and that means breath. It means wind. It means life. It means air in motion. God is saying, and Jesus is saying, when we are experiencing God's presence, it really should feel like a, a, a breath of fresh air. It should feel like that for the hour and 15 minutes that you are here... Um, You're experiencing something that's liberating, not oppressive and repressive and judgmental and cracking down. You should experience like you should leave here going, man, I feel feel good about that. And it may be that you're in a, a time of reverence. I'm not saying, you know, that, you know, that you have to be chipper all the time. But it may it may be that even that reverence, even that solitude, even that quietness is refreshing to your soul. We want to create a, an environment where that happens. So here's what I want to challenge everybody to do. When we come to U City Family Church, and I, like I said, I think our church does this great. I mean, I leave inspired. Um, in fact, I love going over to the growth track and, and doing the growth track because I find that to be inspiring. Um, but, but when we're here, we just focus on what God has for us. We focus on His Word. We focus on singing. We focus on you know, each other. We focus on, uh, uh, you know, pursuing God and letting the distractions and everything that we bring with us during the week to to sort of filter away um, all the things that kind of the madness of our lives just kind of let that fall away. And we just focus on God. We just breathe in His presence. And it's just an inspiring, powerful, life-transforming worship service. I don't, I don't know about you, but there have been many, many times in my life where I'm sitting in a church and in a church pew, and I know, I I couldn't put my finger on it, but something is changing in me. So, you know, I'm hearing things, maybe the preacher isn't even saying them, but I'm hearing things from the word that just resonate with me. They just stick, and something shifts in your life. That's what an inspiring worship service is, so that's what we're striving to do here. But then you say, okay, well, if I come on a Sunday, and I get inspired, you know, and I walk out of here with a breath of fresh air, what about, you know, Monday, Monday? and Tuesday, and and then that breath just starts to, you know, and the boss is on you, and, you know, the schoolwork is hard, and your friends are, you know, bugging you, and, you know, problems in the relationship, and it's just, yeah, it just starts to, uh, right? So, do we just then, like, wait till next Sunday to get that breath of fresh air again? Well, Schwartz said that for every vibrant, healthy, growing church that they looked at, they also had, in the middle of the week, at some point, what he called holistic small groups. Holistic small groups. These are groups that, that are about the whole person. Um, I, many of you may know uh, the author C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I reference him every once in a while, is for me, like, not only my hero, but he's one of my, what I would call, a spiritual father to me, even though I never met him um, and I don't really look like him, so it's, uh, but he, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and it was while I was reading that book um, that I became a Christian. I, I was actually, like, literally reading the book the moment that I became a believer in Jesus, and, um, and w- when you look at his life, uh, he was a respected scholar. He was at Oxford University, and when he played that place out, he went on to uh, to Cambridge University. I mean, he was, just, he was a heavyweight. He was a very serious scholar, world-renowned, um, and uh, known all around the world for his writings. But he was not a Christian, and he was an atheist. And he uh, began in the early 1920s to explore these questions that he had. He would have called himself a materialist. In other words, the only thing that exists are... The actual carbons and the material that we see there 's nothing supernatural or there's nothing beyond the physical. Um, but he began to question that around you know World War I and inter, you know, I- interacting with people um, who had suffered and, uh, and so he started reading these books G-, G. k. Chesterton and all these different authors that were notable uh, uh, christian authors and and that began to like stir his imagination. But the real change came for c. s. Lewis uh, when he began to hang around a small group of guys that were Christians. Um, the, 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 main, the first guy that he started hanging around with was a guy named J.R. Tolkien. So are there any Lord of the Rings fans here? Yeah, okay, Lord of the Rings. Some, we, got, we got some of these, and then we got a couple people doing this. Like, you really, you really like Lord of the Rings. Um, so J.R. Tolkien was a devout Christian. And J.R. Tolkien um, was at uh, Exeter College at Oxford, and he began to interact with Lewis and talk to him about his faith. And then pretty soon, Lewis started making friends with a couple other guys, a guy named Hugo Dyson um, and uh, a few other scholars and uh, Owen Barfield and all these different guys. And they started hanging around each other. And, of course, they talked about the stuff they liked, literature, philosophy, you know, whatever. Um, and, and they, but they also began to open up and start talking about their real life. Like their their challenges, their temptations, the the um, questions that they had, that what was going on personally for them. And it was in that environment, in fact, one of these conversations that these guys had lasted until 3 o'clock in the morning. They were at Modlin College in the garden, at Modlin College at Oxford University. They're having this conversation about life, faith, you know, God, and it's Tolkien, I think it's Dyson, and Tolkien, and Lewis, and you know... They probably had a few more, but they probably went home like 1130. And these guys were just in and three o'clock in the morning. They're having this conversation. And days after this conversation, Lewis wrote a letter to his friend, one of his friends. And he said, this is what he said. He said, I have just passed on to believing in Christ. I've just started believing in Christianity. And then he said this. And this is the point I want you to get. He said, my long night with Dyson and Tolkien, had a great deal to do with this. In other words, he said, this is one of the most prolific, one of the most important, one of the most influential Christian writers in the world. He became a Christian in the context of a holistic small group, a group of people who were taking the things that they heard, the things that they read, the things that they were thinking about, and shared them with other like-minded people. And just spent time connecting, caring, and growing together. Jesus says this. He says, where two or three people are gathered in my name, there I am. If you are with two other people, three other people, and you're just there in the name of Jesus, meaning you're pursuing God, you're maybe reading some scriptures, maybe praying together, you know, you can be doing other stuff. But if you're there in his name, he's there. He's transforming you in that place, in that environment. It is not, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday is not sufficient to, to help you grow and connect and develop your life in faith. It, most of us, if we, if, 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 if we were asked today, like, hey, what helped you to become a Christian? What prompted you? What, what catalyzed you? What brought you? I bet 99% of us would say, at least a part of it was somebody that I knew. Talking with somebody, uh, you know, interacting with somebody, maybe a mentor, maybe a friend. I had some friends that worked on me for about 14 years. Um, one, two of my really good buddies that, that were Christians when I was not a Christian. And we, we had a, we didn't have a three in the morning conversation. We had like a 14 year conversation. And at, and at, and at the night that I became a Christian, the next morning, I called one of them and I said, Hey man, you won uh, you know, i just became a Christian and, and, you know, but it happens in this environment, in this small group environment. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to be launching our life groups next week. Uh, they're going to be over 20 life groups. They're going to be exercise life groups and community outreach life groups and Bible study life groups and men's groups and women's groups and every single kind of group that you want. And, 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 and I want to encourage you to get involved in those. And the other beautiful thing about the life group is that it's 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 mission oriented, right? It's a life group with a purpose. It's outward facing because the third ingredient that Schwartz talks about, and that every Christian vibrant Christian church needs, is it needs what what he calls need based evangelism, need based evangelism. Um, has have any of you ever received something? Maybe somebody gave something to you that you didn't really need, you know like at your birthday or Christmas or something, right? So when I was 12 years old, my sister gave me a beautiful, decorative, faux gold-plated razor. Um, And this is what it looked like. And I was 12, okay? I didn't need this razor at 12. I actually didn't need it at 13 or 14. Or I was like 19 before I busted this thing out. And I still only need it, like, once a month, you know? No. Um, she brought... And, and, you know, it was a good gift, but it was like, that's not where I'm at, right? I'm just not in the razor stage right now. I'm, like, still with Tonka cars or whatever, you know? Um, but, but but need-based evangelism means that we are meeting, as a church, people where they are now, not where we want them to be, um, that we want we want to meet like when people come to church they come because they have a need, they overwhelmingly people come to church when either they've moved or there's a divorce or there's a new relationship or there's a new child or there's a new job or there's a lost job or it, there's something that they they that prompts them to come to church, and you may say yeah well. You know, what they really need is Jesus. And that's right. They really do need Jesus. But they may not know that they need Jesus right now. They may just know that they've got a problem that needs to be addressed. We want to meet people at the need that they perceive, right? At the need that they perceive. And, um, and then we go, we go from there. Jesus' brother, a guy named James, wrote this. He said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and without daily food. And he says, if one of you says to this brother, he says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but you don't do anything about his physical needs, what good is that, right? So we want to meet people where they are in their immediate and perceived need. Um, If you've ever taken like a psychology class, you'll remember this Abraham Maslow at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you ever... um, know that, but, but he was this sort of very prominent 21st century psychologist. um, And he said that a person couldn't, couldn't pursue a, a greater need until they had met a lower need. All right. So here's how he said it. He said, the first thing that people need, they need to meet their physiological needs. These are like your survival needs. And you're not worried about any other need until you've got this squared away, right? You're not worried about life fulfillment when you don't have anything to eat, all right? So he said, physiological, food, water, shelter, safety. He said, then once they've accomplished this, then what they need is belonging. They need to be part of a group. They need love and affection and community. But they don't really need that until the first need is met, right? And then he said, after they've got that, then they need esteem. And this is like a a sense of worth, a sense of accomplishment, you know, that they're making a contribution in the world. And he said the fourth need is fulfillment. This is where they need to know that they're, what their purpose is in life, what they're really about, that they're making a difference, that there's something really, you know, that their life matters, that it really counts, and why does it matter, right? But they're not, they're not interested in number four if they don't have number one, right? And so, you know, Jesus was you know, 2,000 years before Abraham Maslow, but he had this down, Jesus was masterful at this. If you look at uh, the way Jesus called his followers in, in the book of Luke, there's this great, great passage, and it's Luke 5, so I'd encourage you to look it up after uh, after church today. But Jesus goes, and there are some guys that he wants to be a part of his uh, team. And it's Peter and Andrew and their brothers, and James and John and their brothers. Uh, and these guys are fishermen. That's what they do. That's their trade. That's their livelihood. Jesus could have gone to them and said, um, Peter, Andrew, James, John, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, that's your purpose in life. That's your fulfillment in life. And they're, by the way, trying to pull fish in to the boat, right? They would have been like, "Um, can we talk like after work? Like, can we just, here's what Jesus did. He didn't go and say that to them at that point. He went to them and he said, hey, if you guys want to catch some fish, you need to throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And the Bible says they threw their nets on the other side of the boat and their nets came up and they were almost bursting because they were so full of fish. In other words, Jesus said, look, I know what you guys need right now. You need to survive. You need to just take care of your physical needs. And I'm going to provide that. So he immediately met them at their physiological need. And the scripture says that they were stunned. Peter like fell down and, you know, basically said, well, what else do you want? Like, we'll do anything. You just fulfilled this need that we have because we weren't catching any fish. And that's when Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. In other words, he said, I want you to belong. I want to provide a place where you can be a part, where you can be in community with me, where you can belong with me and what I'm doing. And then he spent the next three years with them and he trained them and he mentored them and he discipled them and he prepared them and he equipped them so that they could go out and accomplish something so that they had confidence in what they were able to do. He prepared them for three years so that they could have some sense of esteem, some sense of what it was all about to go out and and, and make a difference in the world. And then at the very end, he said, that's when he said, now, here's your purpose in life. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and do this. And that ultimate sense of fulfillment, that ultimate purpose, that ultimate directive, that ultimate challenge of like, this is what you were made for. That's what he ultimately gave to them. And then he left and said, do it. And in fact, every single one of us that are here today in this room are here because of what they did. Because they went out and fulfilled this purpose. But Jesus, you see, met them at the point of their need. We want to be a church that meets people at the point of their need. We want to be a church that reaches out to people wherever they are and just helps them take that next step. Whatever that next step is, just take that next step. Yes, we want. We ultimately have a vision that we want everybody to be fully committed followers of Jesus, on fire, discovering their purpose, living it out. That's our, that's our aim, right? But we got to meet them right there where where you're at. We got to meet you right where you're at, and just take that one that next step. That's all. Just that next step. Um, we're actually going to do uh, 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 starting a, an initiative this week. Um, Verl Kleins is going to be leading. Um, uh, a homeless initiative. We're going to have a planning and brainstorming session on Wednesday night to try to figure out and start to think about and pray about how can we help to serve people with very basic physiological needs in our community. How can we do that, right? Community outreach groups that are be starting next week. We're going out and feeding people and clothing people and, and you know, helping people get job skills and resume skills and, you know, like just meeting people where they're at, right? So if we're a church that does that, then we're a light in our world. We're a beacon of hope. You know, we're a fountain of peace. We're, we're actually a sanctuary of healing for people if we can meet them where they have a need. And then this is the last one. Um, and I, I really, I mean, this is really one of the most important ones. I mean, they're all super-duper important. Um, but this is one that I love our church about. Uh, and he said this, Short said this, that the Christian community, these thriving, vibrant Christian communities are characterized by what he called loving relationships, loving relationships. Um, in fact, the way they measured it was how they, they met in their, in their study, the way they measured what they called the love quotient was how much time people spent with one another outside of uh, church sponsored events. And, like, if, you know, people went to each other's homes and hung out with each other and went to the movies together and just did stuff that wasn't at church. That's how they kind of measured loving relationships. How, how rich, how deep were these relationships that were being built in, in the church? Um, I'll never forget one of the very—when we first started Youth City Family Church almost four years ago, um, it was one of those Sundays where I had been working all week at, at the, the law firm, and I crammed for my sermon on Saturday— Um, and, you know, just kind of just barely holding on, like, do I even understand what I'm about to say? Um, and I came and it was just, you know, it was a good service, but it was, it just was, you know, I was on the setup team at that point, you know, so like come to church and move the things and, and, um, you know, and so after church, everything was put away and I'm just kind of like exhausted and a little bit depleted, you know, and I walk down one of these aisles and I walk out into the lobby and, you know, I was also sort of under the misapprehension at that time that really, you know, um, so much of this was on my shoulders. Like, I really just had to, you know, I, I had to carry this, you know. I, I didn't realize that, you know, actually, man, you're just, you're just a manager. You're just kind of a plug-and-play guy. This is God's deal. He's got you here, right, and you're doing it, but this is not your deal. Um, and, and so I, I, I walked out, and I got to the lobby, and I got right to the doors of the lobby. And I, you know, I looked around, I I, st- I stopped there, and there were people all in the lobby, people that had, you know, left the church, and I mean, left the auditorium, and they were out in the lobby, and they're just hanging out with each other, and they're talking, and they're laughing, and they're asking ab- about each other's lives, and they're having an awesome time, and nobody noticed me, and it was awesome, because I'm standing there going, I don't have to do anything, like, this is, people are pursuing love for one another and love for christ right here on their own so i just slipped out went home took a nap like a nap like you wouldn't believe i'm like man praise god man just keep on talking folks i mean it was it was amazing because it exemplified what i think that that schwartz is talking about is that we model these loving relationships right we build these loving relationships and by them the world knows that we are jesus's disciples the way that we love one another. Uh, Paul, The Apostle Paul in Corinthians, he says this. And this you, you know this passage. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. He said, it's all about love. In fact, I want to close today with a little exercise that I want you to try with me. Okay. Um, I like to just put you guys on the spot when I can, you know, so so just roll with me on this. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to put this scripture up. Put that next one up, uh, Don, and and what, what I want you to do is instead of saying love, say your name whenever the word love is there, and instead of saying it, say he or she, you know, depending on you, right, a uh, personal pronoun that reflects you, all right, um, and then let's just all do it out loud together. I'll do it too, and I have a microphone, so I'll do it, and you guys just, let's just all read it out loud together, okay, and put your name in there, all right, let's try this. Here we go. Brent is patient, Brent is kind, he does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud, he does not dishonor others, he is not self-seeking, he is not easily angered. he keeps no record of wrongs, Brent does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, he always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Man, what if that was true? about each and every, your spouse is like, uh, (laughs) I don't think so. We'll keep working on that. Um, (laughs) Don't look at me like that, babe. Um, (laughs) But what if that was true? I mean, what if we as a people were characterized by that kind of love? What if we were characterized by that in our relationships with one another and our relationship with the world at large? I can tell you what would happen. I could tell you that the most hardened skeptic, the most angry cynic, the most just anti-virulently anti-Christian person would say, hey, man, I don't totally agree with them on their theology. I don't necessarily agree with them on what they believe, but man, something is irresistible about that community of people. And I, I can't find fault with them. I just, they, they are a loving people and I feel loved by them and I can see that they love one another. We would be a community full of faith and hope and love. We would be a community that people would know Jesus through us. So here's my three challenges for you today. Here's my, my application to take away. Number one, I want to challenge you to make a commitment today, whatever that is, make a commitment. You can do it on your connection card. If you are not a follower of Jesus and today you say, you know what? I want to be a part of that. I I don't, maybe I don't know everything about it. Maybe I don't even agree with everything now, but I know that I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that movement. Make a commitment to Jesus today. Mark it on your card. One of our elders will give you a call or an email and just follow up with you. Um, But just make a commitment. And maybe it's a recommitment for you. Maybe you made a commitment a long time ago, but you just haven't kept it. So you want to recommit. Let us know. Mark that down on your card. Number two is join a team. Get involved somewhere in serving and building this community of love and hope and reconciliation and faith. Just come and be a part of it. Come and join a team. You can go down to Blueberry Hill with us today, have some nachos, you know, and meet a team leader and join a team. Get involved. And then number three is next week, I just want you to pray about this all week. And next week, I want you to just get involved in a group. It may be just it may be just a couple people, maybe three people, maybe a coffee group and for breakfast, maybe a jogging group, maybe a community outreach group. But do somehow get involved, get involved in the community and let's make that difference. Let's to the homeless and to the impoverished. Let's be that beacon of hope to the stranger. Let's offer the safety that they so desperately need to the orphans and widows. Let's be that new kind of family to a city that is torn by violent ethnic strife, right? Let's be peace to injustice and oppression and racism and bigotry. Let's bring justice. Let's be the church. Let's not just usher in a new religion, but let's bring in a brand new culture to our world, a brand new culture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this community of people that are coming together and striving together to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that your heart would be our heart. We pray that your spirit would be present with us and that we would breathe it in and that we would accept you and that we would open our hearts to you and that we would allow you to nourish us and grow us and develop us and transform us and strengthen us and empower us to go out and change the world. Lord, we just ask that every single person here be surrounded by your love. We pray that they be surrounded by your comfort and your peace and the peace of your presence. That your Holy Spirit would bring a breath of fresh air into the hearts and the minds of people who are struggling and who are challenged by difficulties at home and at school and at work. We just pray that this would be a place where they experience that breath of fresh air where their hearts just open up, their lungs just open up, and they just experience you, and they take that with them and get involved in a group, and they take that out into the community, and we go change the the world with our love for one another, God. I just pray that we would exemplify that, that we would bring in that new culture, Lord, that we would transform the way our world at large views the church, and that people, even the hardened skeptic and the person who's uh, angry and bitter about God, would look at us and say, there's something about that group of people, and I want to know more. Father, help us to be that, we pray. Give us your strength. Help us to do it with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want have our music team come on up now. I'm going to close just by um, inviting you to worship with us in a few different ways um, that we do here. Number one is just that connection card. Uh, if you have a prayer request or you want to get involved or you want to join a team um, or you want to meet, uh, you know, somebody, uh, want to meet with a pastor or whatever, let us know. Um, just put that on your connection card and drop that in the basket. Another way that we worship here at U city family church, and this is only for those that are our members and that call this their church home. We worship through our generosity. Um, that's how we can support avenues counseling. In fact, that's a, a good point. Uh, if you want, uh, to your offering to go directly to avenues today or a portion of it or whatever, Mark that on your envelope, okay? Just mark that on your envelope and say, okay, I want this to go to Avenues. Um, uh, and we will make sure that that goes directly to Avenues Counseling Center. We believe in what they do. Um, but I would want to encourage you just to give today. If this is your home church, uh, be a part of what we're doing. Be a part of how we're, you know, helping the homeless and feeding the poor and being a part of, of changing our community. I invite you to, to do that. And then another way that we worship is we take the bread and the cup because this whole thing, this church that we're talking about, this inspiring worship service and all, you know, these holistic small groups, all of that, it just revolves around one thing. It revolves around the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is it. That's the whole thing. Other than that, everything is window dressing. That's the moment. That's when Jesus, you see, met with his disciples the night that he was betrayed. And he broke bread and he gave it to them. And he said, eat, this is my body that's being broken for you. And he poured the cup and he said, drink, this is the blood of my covenant that's being poured out for you. And what he was saying is, I'm getting ready to go and sacrifice everything for you to meet those needs so that you can have fulfillment, that you can have a relationship with God, that you can know God and, and, and be in relationship with him. I'm getting ready to do that for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread and we take the cup. And I want to invite everyone, no matter, you know, if you're here for the first time or you're, you know, you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. I want to, our music team is going to sing in just a moment. And I want to invite everybody to sing along and just join in song uh, with our whole community here. Let's all stand together. as our music team now begins to sing, I want to invite every single one of you to worship in any or all of these ways. Come worship now.